0: what's going on just goes to show listeners it's your co-host ridge back with another episode
1: yep just here as well as always excited to be back talking prem uh five matches into the season here and uh i think it's a good time to check in with the listeners
0: yeah five matches into the season what does that make it percentage wise chris quick mental math like mm, probably about like 14
1: 14 let's right. look, let me so... check that was, that was off the dome five out of 38 i bet you that's pretty close Go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up.
0: Yeah, good radio, good uh, good math pod here. Um, but we are approaching, I would say, around the corner of the quarter, around the corner. We're a quarter of the way through the season, um, and we're back here with just goes to show. So, uh, we're pumped. We're gonna chat through um, a couple different things. Uh, TV has a little agenda of what we're coming through, going through today. We'll start with just working through the, the league table. We're gonna definitely focus at the top of the table for the first couple minutes here. Um just with with teams that are already kind of making title shouts, some teams that already seem to be out of the title contention. Uh, And then we're going to go through some surprises and disappointments, observations that uh, both Chris and I have through the first five matches of the season. Um, I'm excited to get into that. Chris and I have some unique takes. And then we'll talk a little bit, uh, flip the table upside down, and talk a little bit about um, the relegation zone, which is uh, a pointless, barren wasteland right now. Um, and then trivia returns. So Chris is ripping trivia. I'm, I'm answering trivia today. Chris is delivering. Um, so we'll see how I do.
1: Yeah, correct. Um, and it was 13.1%. So pretty good guess. Um, nice. Before we before we get into Prem 2, I just wanted to uh, give a congratulations to Ridge. Big couple of weeks recently. Uh, just got engaged. So I uh, have to give a shout out to my co-host there over, over the, the pond in London as well, which makes it exciting, unfortunately, during an international break. But congratulations, buddy.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Um, working remotely, when people like people have been giving me congratulations uh, through my computer screen, like uh, for the last like week and a half, uh, and this feels very similar. So it's congratulations over the pod. Um, I actually haven't gotten too many congratulations in person, just because we've come back and been working. So, um, but I appreciate it nonetheless, and thanks for everyone who's listening, anyone who's uh, reached out. Um, Harley and I really appreciate it. So thank you.
1: Yeah, anyway, um, let's get to what we actually talked about here. So um, I, I think uh, I'm only five matches in, but it definitely feels like this is going to be City's title to lose yet again. I think we, we probably knew that coming into the season as well, uh, but they got up to a really hot start, no dropped points through five games. Uh, they've been pretty dominant. Do you think, before we even get into potential contenders here. Do you think there's anyone realistically that can knock them off or is it just going to be a, a runaway for City this season? Uh,
0: it's hard to say that anyone's going to knock them off right now. J- as the Champions League progresses and as City's Champions League schedule, um, you know, their European fixtures this week, as that starts to ramp up for Manchester City, I think we'll we'll see some squad rotation. I think that's the only question at City right now is when they have injuries to key players, like how deep are they? Um, because you've got the likes of Erling Holland and, and uh, Julian Alvarez playing, you know, almost every minute of every game. They're really deep at the back line. They seem to have a lot of defenders that they can rotate through, even with the loss of Cancelo, a lot of center backs that are comfortable kind of deploying at different different out wide positions, making little triangles out the back. But I just think, at, from where we sit right now, no, it looks like it's gonna be city's title again and we're just kind of getting used to this. They're buying all the you know best young player a lot of the best young players around Europe it seems like they just wake up and decide they're gonna to to spend 50 60 million quid on somebody like Mateus Nunez and just scoop them up or Jeremy. But I, too. Think, yeah, exactly. um, but I do think yeah, exactly. but I do think there is some potential where um, for that team to tire sort of like Arsenal did towards the tail end of last season. Um, just because I don't, there's not curr- there's currently not a lot of rotation between some of the key players like Alvarez, Holland, Rodri. Um, those players are playing a lot of minutes, and so as Champions League starts to pick up, I think maybe you might see them start to wane around you know n- late November, December, um, and you know we'll have to assess them. But for now, where we sit, I, I also think just early shouts, are, uh, Julian Alvarez is like on pace to be the player of the season through the first five games. I think he's been the best player in the Premier League, full stop, in the first five games of the season.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, too, because you didn't even mention De Bruyne going down with a major injury. Alvarez has really been the one that exactly. stepped up and kind of filled his role, and it's been pretty seamless so far. Uh, you, you take out Kevin De Bruyne, who's been one of the best players in the league for the last three, four years, and bring in Alvarez, who obviously extremely talented, but hasn't really had a consistent run yet for them. Last season, played... Uh, here or there and a lot of minutes off the bench and he's come in and there you go. He's already a candidate for player of the year. So they're pretty good at uh, filling roles when they do lose players. But, you know, you lose one or two other guys like a Rodri, like a Holland, things get a little bit interesting. But right now as things stand, um, you know, 15 points through five, their schedule hasn't been super difficult, but they haven't really uh, skipped, you know, they haven't missed a beat here. So fair play to them. They've done everything that we've expected them to do so far. Uh, So, three teams that have emerged early uh, that all have 13 points through five matches. Uh, One of them, Arsenal, not super surprising after the season they had last year. Uh, Second, Liverpool, who have won four straight. And then third, Spurs, who have been a bit of a surprise, I would say. Um, I guess let's, let's go through those teams and... I guess, I don't know if we want to rank them or order them or or kind of assess their ability to make a push for the title. At this point, I'd I'd just be content with them making things interesting like Arsenal did last year, where it was at least close until the last couple of matches of the season. Uh, Where do you think those three clubs stand in terms of their ability to kind of chip away at City?
0: Yeah, as I look at all three of them, I think the order on the back of last season, I think Arsenal is probably the second best team there. Um, under Arteta, really, and and they have the depth that they didn't have last season. I mean, some people say they still lack a number nine. They're linked with Ivan Toni, who maybe they go get in the, in the in the winter transfer window. Um, but I think they're probably the second best, and then I think followed by Liverpool, and then Spurs at four. And that's no disrespect to Spurs. It just the sample size is pretty small. Um, they've been fantastic under Ange Postacoglu. Um, Ange Ball is a real thing. I'm a huge fan, um, and I really love. You know, I, I love watching them play, um, but you know, I, I just think it's too early to tell. Whereas I know with Arteta and I know with Klopp, I feel a little bit more confident saying like they're going to be right around where they're at come the end of the season. I just haven't seen. You know, it's no disrespect to Andrew. I just don't. He doesn't have the CV in the Premier League that the other two managers do.
1: Right. I, I think though, when I look at Arsenal and I look at Liverpool, I think Arsenal did they did improve from last year on paper. Bringing in uh, Declan Rice's is massive. He's one of the best players in the league. I think that alone, but then you add David Raya, who I do think has been an upgrade to Ramsdale. He's starting to emerge as it looks like he's going to be their number one choice uh, having started the last couple of matches for them. I think he upgrades their distribution quite a bit. thought he was really, really good for Brentford last year. Um, Timber going down, that hurts though, so it's supposed to give them a little bit of more depth defensively. Uh, but I do think their lack of number nine is a valid concern. Eddie Nketiah is just not going to be a striker that wins you a league, and Gabriel Jesus has not really been able to stay fit consistently. And when he has, I don't think he is, um, you know, like a, a really, really overpowering goal scorer. I do think he's a quality player, but I think adding someone like an Ivan Tony would really add a, another dimension to this team. Um, right now, and you, they've scored nine goals through nine ma- or through five matches, so uh, significantly less than the other teams in the top four right now. Um, And the matches they've played, they won 1-0 against Everton, 1-0 against Palace. So they're not really overpowering teams going forward. I do think they are a team that gets a lot of goals from different players, which we saw last year. Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, all, uh, I believe, finished with double-digit goals last season. So they can kind of spread it around there. But ultimately, not having that number 9 does hurt them. Um, I, I... I think outside of that, I do like the depth of the squad. I do think Arteta's a good manager. I would probably agree that I would put them number two in the the pecking order right now, the Premier League. Uh, But I do think that the goals could try up for them. Fortunately, they are really, really solid defensively right now. That's where I'm more concerned with Liverpool. Uh, I don't think that they have the quality defensively that Arsenal does. So I think Arsenal on the attack, Liverpool defensively both are a little bit shaky where it's going to be tough for them to make a sustained run and, and put up the points that might need to do the challenge.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, just not, not to shift gears at a little bit um, because I think, you know, I think that top four is tight. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know for what it's worth. I just like that there's a, a few teams competitively there kind of between the two and four spot. Right. And it's not sort of, it's still early in the season. It still looks like there's multiple kind of irons in the fire. Um, which is just fun, you know, when the top of the table is like dense, like it's fun, you know? So um whereas if you're a Manchester United fan, you're kind of thinking we're nine points behind City. We, you know, we're in disarray. We just lost in the Champions League. Like if you're a United fan, you've got to think like, you know, you're, you're not going to win the title this season. If any of you were dreaming that you might, you know, step up and win the title, you got to think you're already out of it. And then Chelsea's obviously already out of it. And so I think what that, paves the way is that traditional top six you also see Newcastle who haven't started that well either, similarly to Manchester United you're starting to see, we've talked a lot about this on the pod, those like five through nine teams right, the, uh, the Villas the Brightons, the the Brentfords, you know, these teams who are kind of hovering around there on the table, you're starting to see them push on, they have had a good start, they've got nine points through five brighton um, Brighton's got twelve points through five, uh, and then West Ham Sort of back around the top of the table um, and doing it in just uh, a a little bit of a different way with David Moyes. Um, A little bit more, you know, signing kind of like the old school players, players with Premier League experience. They're not signing like the likes of Kairu Matoma. They're signing the likes of James Ward Prowse. Um, And they're getting results. So full credit to them. So I think, you know, early on, the the table is shaping up where I do think. Just like last year with Newcastle cracking the top four, I do think we have will have some of those five through eight teams. It looks like there'll be a couple gaps for them to finish in the top six, and I think we'll see Chelsea finish well out of the top six this season. Maybe Manchester United and maybe Newcastle as well, um, obviously with a lot of games to go. So that leaves room for Villa, Brighton, which would, you know, which is exciting.
1: Now I think that what could emerge is just a really interesting race for the top six. Um, if we look at those top four teams, maybe being a little bit of a, a head above the rest, and it's really early to say that. Brighton have looked really good. Boston have looked good. I'm not sure those teams are on the same level quality-wise as the, the top four teams we mentioned right now. But if you look at a top six race, that's probably what Manchester United, Chelsea, Newcastle, um, I mean, I, they have a lot of time to turn things around. But those three teams could emerge from the bottom. Brentford are in 11th with only one loss through five. If, if they do hold on to Tony in January, they're a team that could be looking around the top six. Um, so I think there's going to be, you know, that, that, like you said, that five through 10 area will be really, really interesting uh, to figure out who's going to uh, sneak out and qualify for Europe from that group. But yeah, I mean, United, Chelsea are both in disarray. I, I have a little bit more hope for Newcastle uh, to turn things around. They already played City, they already played Brighton. Their losses are to City, Brighton, and Liverpool. So it's not like they haven't had an easy schedule. And Their wins are against Villa and Brentford. They've probably had the hardest schedule out of any team so far this season. hasn't been really a really pretty start for them, but I still have faith mm-hmm. that they're going to end up being solid. And I think United have too much talent to not at least break into the top half here soon and start winning some games, although I don't really think that they're poised for a, a top three or four finish. Chelsea, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of talent yeah. I, I do have some some faith in pochettino but they just don't score any goals so you have to figure out where the goals come from eventually
0: yeah agreed um and and i think uh, moving on to our sort of surprise i will i guess before we do that i, I will say the north london derby this weekend is an exciting one right like um it's one of the more. I'm, I'm excited as a neutral. I'm, I'm, I do usually don't get excited for that fixture. Um, and there's been times where like Spurs have been good and Arsenal have been good, but very rarely are they sort of at the same, if not similar, level of optimism for a season. Um, and with what Andrew's already brought into the club this season, I think that I'm just I'm stoked for that game this weekend. I'm really excited to watch that.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make a prediction for that one at the end, along with a couple other fixtures. Yeah. But you're right. I think. This is probably the most hype Spurs have had in the last two or three years. And in terms of just enjoyment for the club, too, and excitement by the style that they're playing and uh, some of the new signings, uh, it will be really, really fun. Um, That's probably so far the most anticipated fixture of the season, I would say, Uh, early on. I don't think there's really been a a match that I've been more looking forward to than that one so far. Um, So yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit towards the end of the pod. Um, So one of my observations that I was going to say, we've we've kind of touched on these teams, but I I just thought about it as we were prepping for the pod. So I think I'm pretty confident the three biggest outgoing uh, transfer fees this window from the Premier League uh, were Declan Rice coming from West Ham. um, And then we had Casado from Brighton and Harry Kane from Spurs um, all over a hundred million pounds. Uh, and I mean, not necessarily Casado, but rice and Kane have been like club legends, fixtures at those clubs for the last several years. And all three of those teams are in the top six right now. Uh, I think especially for Kane and rice, they've been rumored to leave for probably two or three straight summers. And the teams finally gave in and let them go. And wow, have those teams responded really, really well. Um, Spurs, <laughs> I, th- I mean, how many years has Harry Kane been their main guy? Probably six, seven in the Premier League, at least, right? Yeah. Uh, second most goal- goals all time in the Premier League. And they've scored 13 goals through five matches. Uh, they brought in uh, a couple of important players. Um, Madison has been arguably one of the, maybe the signing of the summer so far. Um, yeah. A couple other guys like Manor Solomon. um some defensive players that they brought in, a, a keeper. But um, Ange, uh, a lot of the credit goes to Ange. You know he's getting a lot of guys like Basuma, uh, Popsar, have been really really good in the midfield. Um, and then West Ham, they were so shaky last season in a relegation battle for most of the year. Despite winning a European trophy, they lose their best player and uh, bring in James Ward-Prowse. Who you talked about Premier League experience similar to Madison there. Uh, they just signed Kudus, and they have, I think, maybe been the surprise team of the season so far. Um, Brighton have done what they always do. They sell a player for a massive fee, and they they, they don't seem to miss them at all. So I, I just thought it was really fascinating that those three players, the biggest outgoing transfers of the window, and all three of those teams are in the top six to start the season with a ton of momentum.
0: Yeah, I, that is interesting. I, its It's probably a good... Uh, maybe it's too simple of me to say, but it's a good sort of sporting reminder, right? That there's no I in team, right? The the team and the club is a larger entity than one man, and I do think that happens a lot in uh, just in the transfer market. I think two things happen a lot from the clubs who are buying. One, they convince themselves that their on the field problems are going to be solved by said signing, right? Um, it's really easy to say, oh. You know to say oh if we had this other player we wouldn't have this problem right like your goalkeeper lets in a soft goal it's very easy to say oh if we had a different person in that spot this mistake wouldn't happen you know but the reality is is all players make mistakes and all players have strengths and weaknesses so you know no player is perfect so they're their players are going to mess up so i think what the one that's a that's a uh, trap that buying clubs fall into and then the other trap is they get very fixated on one target right you look at like the caicedo situation um, you know they end up spending Chelsea ends up spending over 100 million for a player. I mean, yes, he is an excellent pivot and an excellent link link up between midfield and he's a great transitional player. So between midfield and defense, right? Totally agree. Um, it, if you spend 100 plus million pounds on him to get that player, like is his if Mo, is Moises Caicedo's level? Can you pick? Ten to twenty midfielders in the Premier League who are on a similar, if not higher level, than Moises Caicedo. I mean, probably.
1: Last season, right? I'm not sure you could. I don't know. I mean, maybe ten.
0: Yeah, and and it all depends on like how you know on on how you play, right? Like, if you build out from the back, if you're willing to play long a little bit more, right? Like, you know. But like, is you know, I, I don't know. I think, is there a hundred million pound difference between? Like I've watched Forest quite a bit this season, um, and I see they have a couple central midfielders who I think are pretty industrious, right? Like uh, uh, they have Oral Mangala, right, who's a, a Belgian sort of box to box. They just signed Philippe Sangare for thirty million. Um, Right. So, like, is Oral Mangala, I think they said him on a free to be honest. Like, is he 100 million pounds worse? Plays a very similar role, sort of combative, but uh, good in a tackle and good pivot be- between the midfield and the attack. Like, is he 100 million pounds worse than Moises guys? No. don't know. Um, so, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. It, it, obviously, that's taking a transfer out of context, but I do think that buying teams get one, they think that a, a player is going to solve all their woes. And then I think two, they get too fixated onto one target. And I, I mean, there's a lot of selling power, um, right now, uh, for teams and the uh, players are worth so much just with where, where the market's at the market's So saturated, especially with the influx of Saudi money. Right. One,
1: well, it's interesting. I know we both listened to Thomas Frank with sky sports, uh, during the week. And he talked about Brentford being a selling club. And really there's only, I think he mentioned like maybe six clubs in all of the world that you would, he would consider to be buying clubs. Um, and so in the premier league city are one. United are probably one. Maybe Chelsea would fall into that boat, too. But I think it's just a testament to the fact that if you get the right price for the player um, and you can anticipate the departure, it's not always the worst thing to sell one of these players. No, you look at Villa yeah, exactly. With, well said. Villa well said. 2 with Grealish, when they sold him, um, being a Villa supporter, uh, you know, everyone was devastated. Um, and they didn't even necessarily reinvest his money that well in that window. Um, I think they, they brought in three players basically for the hundred million they got, and it wasn't it wasn't really enough to replace him with just that money. Um, but it didn't really matter. I mean, they're they're in a better spot now than they were when they had him. And I think it's yeah, like like I said, it's a testament to the fact that you can't hold on to these guys forever. Some clubs are destined to be selling clubs. It's kind of just how you can build the team around that departure. Um, for Spurs, it's a little concerning. I would say that they don't necessarily have a a. Replacement for Kane, but Madison is such a uh, creative player that he can play a little bit deeper than Kane would and provide the assists that he probably could. And then now they've been playing Sun in more of a strike role. I don't know if they'll do that for the entire season, but he can get goals, and you can get something out of a player like Richarlison. You can almost like moneyball your way into the production that Kane had with some other pieces in the team. Um, but I, I just thought it was really—I don't know—it was just I was kind of going through the table and thinking, wow, all three of these teams had a departure that seemed like it could just tear the club to the ground and five matches in, it seems like they don't miss those players at all, which is kind of shocking.
0: Right. Yeah. The fans. Yeah. I mean, it just reminds you that the, I don't know. There's so much power in the player's corner these days um, when it comes to negotiations and their brand and you're able to connect with them on social media. They almost seem kind of larger than life. And it does, it's a good reminder that like the club is bigger than the player uh, and, and the fans are bigger than the club, right? The fans are what make the club. So, you know, it's not like Spurs fans aren't showing up because <laughs> because Harry Kane's not there anymore, right? Like it, time goes on, but I think we just like, develop, like you said, they've, you, you, they've probably never been more excited than they have been right now. Yeah.
1: And they just lost their their club legend, the best player in the history of their club. They lost a month ago, and they're already in a spot where they're like, man, things have never been better.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. Like, if you're a Spurs fan, if I were to say to you, hey, you're going to hire an unproven manager in the Premier League. He's never managed in the Premier League. And you're going to be five games in, and you're going to feel like and you've sold Harry Kane, you're going to feel like it's the most optimistic you've been about a Spurs team in a decade. They would be like, get the fuck out, you know, it's, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's no crazy. way. Right. Um, what's your, uh, what was your take or thing that you wanted to bring up now? Yeah. I, I So there's a, a few nuances that we've discussed on the pod about differences in this Premier League season. Um, there And it's, some of it stems from the officiating. So we've talked a little bit about when players are demonstrating for yellow cards, um, uh, so if you kind of like wave an imaginary yellow card to a referee, they're, they're issuing yellows. Um, they're also doing a much better job with like intentional time wasting, issuing yellows, like, uh, Zaniolo in the last game threw his ball away. Um, uh, the yeah, threw, got a yellow, a throw it away. He got a yellow for time wasting 11 minutes into the Burnley match on Monday. Yeah, so there's, there's, yeah, yeah, exactly. 11 minutes in, teams really are getting yeah, yellow cards and they don't, they're not even winning, right? And he's already getting a yellow card, right. So, um, there's definitely a new focus there, but I do think I thought the Spurs Blades match last weekend, Richarlison comes off the bench, scores after what's been a tumultuous week for him, and then, um, and then Kulisevsky gets the winner, I think, two minutes later. So, I think the, the minutes of the goal were officially like the 98th. A 90 plus 8 and then 90 plus 10 were the two winning goals. And that was the first match where I thought to myself, this result is different because of the new rules. Right? So because of the tracking of the time-wasting and tracking of delaying play, West Fodderingham, Crystal Palace graduate, Academy graduate was was taking so long with every goal kick every, every action right so they were tallying up that time they tacked it on at the end and spurs got a shitload of extra time and in that shitload of extra time they scored two goals and, and take the result from a 1-0 loss to a 2-1 win it, you know 5 years ago games aren't getting more than 5 minutes of extra time at the most right I don't care how much someone time wastes. No one's ever holding a board that's more than five minutes. It's closer to 10 than it is uh, zero. No one was ever doing that, right? Um, unless there was, you know, a, a crazy injury and someone was stretchered off. That's a, the only exception. But for just normal time wasting, non-injury related time wasting, um, that had never happened before. So I sort of thought to myself, like, that's this is a change in, in – this is a different result. And as a result, now we're talking about Spurs. Spurs fans are thrilled. They're in second. They're on 13 points. They're feeling great, and and last year I don't think they get that win. I think they're sitting on uh, ten points, right, and having lost to Blades, maybe feeling a little deflated deflated going into their their six game week.
1: Yeah, and a, a huge team week for them too. And the thing is, I actually watched those extended highlights today. I watched them back, and I had, I had already seen it, but uh, it was twelve minutes added. You know, it's not like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. what's going on? Why is the referee not blowing his whistle? I mean, those goals were scored within the allotted uh, stoppage time that Mm -hmm. he had added on. Um, I mean, 12 minutes is insane, but I think it's probably fair. It's a fair result for Spurs, right? I mean, is it going to favor the better team? Yeah, but it probably should. Like, the better team might win out in those scenarios because – a team like Blades gets a goal. I think they scored like maybe the 74th, 75th minute. And from that point, you have a 1-0 lead. You're looking for your first win of the season. And mm-hmm. that's the the game plan for any team in that spot is, all right, let's waste as much time as possible. Let's, let's get right. the final whistle. And I, I think it's a, probably a good thing overall for the league to penalize that. I, I don't think it's really fair to, for, for Spurs to not get their allotted time to make that comeback um it's going to benefit the better team but in reality we're it's a sport the better team like the rules should cater to the better team winning right i mean they they should not necessarily cater to the better team but the the better team shouldn't be at a disadvantage because uh, a team wants to you know, like minimize the amount of time on the clock. Like if if you you can pass at the back for 15 minutes and and keep possession, that's a different story, right? You don't have to play aggressive attacking football, but if you're not going to even allow them to play, it doesn't really make sense. So I I think it's a good rule. I think you're right that that they wouldn't have gotten that result last season. But ultimately I think it's a good – uh, it's a, like a good result of that rule change,
0: right? I, I yeah, think I mean, that I, makes I, sense. I, I, yeah, and I, I agree. I, agree. I, I like yeah. the rule change. I'm in favor of the rule change. I think as a new, as a neutral in that game, wow, yeah, I mean, I get an extra 12 minutes, and I actually get to watch the 12 minutes of action of these incredible players and athletes compete. Um, and and as a sport, I think it, it, it's advancing the game further. It's making it a better game. I think you know. I couldn't help but think of a few things as I was watching those goals go in. A couple of things kind of like flashed through my brain. I was like, oh, this is almost like with Sir Alex Ferguson with his famous Fergie time, right? So he used to keep a stopwatch at the end of games. And Manchester United were famous for getting a lot of extra time. The ref running the clock past extra time and then scoring, winning games, tying games, in extra time and getting results, right? And I think there's a little logic there. Like Sir Alex Ferguson was doing everything he could to try and stretch out the time in the game because he knew... Most of the time, he had a better squad, right? He had more expensive players, more talented players. So the longer you can draw out the game, more often than not, the better, you know, the more skilled team um, is going to win. Um, And so that's, to your point, why this rule, I think, benefits the better teams more than it does the shittier teams, right? Like, if you're playing for 115 minutes versus 90 minutes, um, if you're a worse team, you're more likely to lose when the game lasts longer, Right? Yeah, so, I think um, I
1: think the spirit of the rule too is not to play, you know, 115 minute games. It's to discourage these teams from time wasting, right? And it's point. like, hey, if you are going to time waste, this is what we're going to do. And so hopefully down the road, we just see less time wasting, which is not a good product for the Premier League anyway. To watch teams kicking the ball away, to watch a goalkeeper take 45 seconds, take a goal kick, um, and hopefully it just it, tr- it triggers a response from these teams to just not time waste as much and then we'll kind of go back to where we were maybe you'll see more five six minutes added rather than seeing 12 which i think is crazy but if they wasted 12 minutes then it's only really fair to spurs to give them the 12 minutes back so
0: yeah, that's a good point. Like, will we see these times? Uh, I would love... We'll we'll tr- talk pro- talk about that probably at the end of the season, but will we see these times decline as the season progresses because teams kind of see it as futile, like, God, oh, there's no point in wasting time. It's going to get added anyway sort of thing. That's a really good oh, point. And,
1: yeah, the other thing is, you know, think about like a couple of years back when they started booking players for simulation. Have you really seen uh, a decrease in players diving? Maybe a little bit. Um, yeah, I think so. And I mean, they, they, those things take time because time wasting is kind of ingrained into the culture and the strategy of football right now. So I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing, but maybe towards the end of the season or in the next season, we're just going to see the response being, okay, well, we're just not going to waste this time because I don't want to think about it too. Like these, these better teams are going to be, they're probably going to have players with a little bit of higher fitness level. So I don't think it's really going to help a team like blades to be playing in the 98th to the 102nd minute. Um, they'd probably rather just, give it a, give it a go in the, the 80th rather than take that time away from the 80th minute and add it on to the end of the match when they're gas trying to secure a point right. or three points. So it, it's, it's definitely making an impact though, which is cool. You know, you see these rule changes and they have a, an agenda by making these changes and it seems like they're sticking to it. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see how it develops. So
0: yeah. And I think the other thing that I thought of too, just with the rule was just around the elimination of like the back pass rule right which was you know you could no longer pass the ball back to your keeper and they couldn't pick it up that was a big time wasting tactic um you know back 50 plus years ago um you'd pass it back to your keeper your keeper would pick it up you'd roll it out to a player they'd pick it up and you could just pick up the ball and obviously that was made illegal um and and you couldn't you can't back pass and your keeper can't pick it up so i just think this is like kind of a similar progression is that rule right um that's kind of what I was saying. I was kind of thinking about just the game progressing, and this is being an, another step um, along that journey to make a more competitive, a, a better product, and a better, a better spectating sport. Um, but I do think, you know, looking at the Premier League table right now, you've got, you know, City, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, 13 points or more, all unbeaten through their first five games. And then you look at the bottom end of the table. You've got uh, Blades, Everton, Burnley, Luton. Um, uh, four of three of those four teams have one point, and one one team has zero points. Right. So um, uh, you know this is on the back of the five substitution rule. So they are now five subs in games. You can't time waste. Um, I you know uh, I think we're in this era, era right now. To your point, where we're rolling out these rules, where we're, I think we're going to see a pretty big disparity between, uh, you know, the top top end of the table and the bottom end of the table um, until, you know, that, that ripples through all of English football um, and you see these same rules enforced in, in the championship and, and, and League One. I'm not saying that, like, recently promoted teams can't do well, um, but I'm saying definitely, I mean, like, if you're, again, if you're Blades, you win that game last season, right? You're, you're sitting on four points right now. You're sitting, you know, in, in 15th instead of in 17th um, on one point. And you get your first win of the season against Spurs. So, like, you know, it's it's this game. It's a game of margins, and and they end up losing the game. And so, it's um, just super interesting, I think, to think about. Uh, you know, uh, I think these teams can be successful, but I think, you know, the odds are definitely stacked against them. You got big, wealthy teams at the top of the t- top of the top of the pyramid with five subs, and they're going to play out every second of the match. So, like, you know, you better bring a good product, <laughs> otherwise, you're in trouble. You know. Definitely. Um, I have one
1: more thing I wanted to bring up in this section. So uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but I have to ask a question. Do we owe an apology to David De Gea? Uh,
0: I, I mean, someone from Manchester United does Eric ten Hogg might,
1: I mean, it's, he's still a free agent and Jesus. Onana has been a liability so far and United have given up 10 goals in five matches. It's not all Onana's fault. They haven't been good defensively but he has made some serious blunders and De Gea just got crucified by the media for years Um, and he he did let in some howlers from time to time but he won the Golden Glove last year. I know that's not just on the goalkeeper but that guy was a, a stalwart for Man United for a long time and he just got kicked to the curb Onana comes in, is going to solve all their problems, and it has been a major, major issue so far. That looking like, I don't know if De Gea would be doing a whole lot better, but this was supposed to be like a big upgrade and, and a big change to their team. And uh, after they just lost four three to Bayern in the Champions League this week, Onana literally requested an interview to basically try to take all responsibility for the loss. It's already it's already looking really bad. He's played like six or seven competitive matches for them, and uh, maybe it's just a, a cursed position as being the United goalkeeper right now. But um, I just needed to throw that in there because I feel like we ripped on De Gea quite a bit on the pod over the last couple of years, probably rightfully so most of the time. But uh, yikes,
0: yikes is right. Um, I'm actually as, as you're as you're talking, Chris. I'm thinking like, where does he end up? Where do you think he ends up? I don't
1: know. You'd think that a team would have signed him right now. I, I, I don't. It's kind of shocking. I mean, I don't know if he has really, really high wage demands. He probably does. He must. I think he must. I mean, he was getting paid a ton at United, but you'd think those would go down over time. Uh, you, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be willing to go to, um, you know, like a mid-table Premier League team. But you'd think that someone would have taken a stab at him by now. Um, I mean, most most of these teams probably have their goalkeeper somewhat settled by now. But. Yeah,
0: exactly. So a lot of the teams do have their goalkeeper settled. He, I don't think any of the Spanish giants, you know, like uh, Real Madrid went out and got Kepa. um, Barcelona has Ter Stegen and, and there's not a ton of money there. I don't think anyone, anyone in Spain, Spanish teams certainly can't afford his wage demands. Um, you know, nor can, I mean, does he go to Bayern? Maybe that's a fit. They've, ulreich neuer's old i mean maybe there i Um, am shocked he has i i'm shocked we haven't seen him pop up in saudi yet uh, that that would make a lot of sense
1: that i mean maybe he just has a a higher moral compass than we would have thought and he doesn't want to go there but yeah maybe (laughs) because i mean it's it's very surprising he's not with the club right now um but i just wanted to throw that in there because like that just with onana being like as as air prone as he's been it just seems like we're just
0: spinning the wheel here at, with the United, Kingdom. right? Um, well, and well, I guess before be, before we get to trivia, who if if you were if you were David, um, DDG, which Premier League team, and I could place you as a starter on a uh, well, I guess with some real some realism, so they would they would feel it's an upgrade at the position. If you could go to one Premier League team, get regular minutes, and start, where would you go right now? And looking at the Premier League table.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because it has to be the right fit. Like, I was looking at the table, and Brighton don't really seem like they have a clear-cut number one keeper right now. They've been rotating. But they play out of the back so much that I don't really think De Gea has a fit there. Um, I would have thought, like, had Nottingham Forest not signed Matt Turner since they, they loaned um, – what was it last year? killer uh, Navas. Yeah, killer Navas last year an aging international keeper. Like maybe that would have been a fit, but they have Matt Turner now. Like I don't, I'm looking at the table and I don't really think he fits anywhere in the prem th- at this point in the season.
0: Zero teams, zero teams. You you don't have any suggestion.
1: Uh, do you? I mean, like there's certain uh, teams like,
0: like Luton is not
1: going to be able to afford him. Uh, like, I don't think like a team like blades making the push for him because, like other teams at the bottom, Everton have picked for Burnley just made a signing at keeper. Uh, Wolves that Jose saw, Neto for Bournemouth. Yeah. Like, they're not, he's not going to go to Bournemouth. I, I just don't know. I mean, Chelsea.
0: I mean, I thought he was – I think he's teed up. First of all, I, th- I thought he could have gone to Palace instead of them signing Dean Henderson. I think he's teed up to be the next West Ham keeper. Yeah, but ariola has been really
1: good for them, so.
0: He moves from Manchester to London. West Ham are a top half team. They obviously pay out decent wages. Look at like they like to sign these proven Premier League players. Like I'm yep. shocked Moyes with the Manchester United connection hasn't called De Gea and he's ended up at West Ham.
1: That might make the most sense, but I if I were West Ham, like I wouldn't mess with it right now. You're right. The Moyes connection is interesting too. Um, yeah, I, I don't really think I'd have a better choice than that. I think most of the other teams feel right. pretty comfortable with. Their
0: now, like why? Why even bring in the distraction for a really high? You're right. Maybe, percentage. maybe Chelsea because they, they have they're studying David Sanchez.
1: Yeah, and I don't think he's very good. And
0: Chelsea would be like, oh, what's another
1: 200k a week? You know,
0: 250k. Right. A week, whatever. Who cares?
1: So yeah, maybe Chelsea. Um, Chelsea or West Ham, are probably the two that like, make the most sense.
0: All right, there you go. You heard it here first on Just Goes to Show pod. David De Gea in January. An injury to David Sanchez, and you definitely see De Gea there at Chelsea, I think for sure. Robert Sanchez, I, I just that, – Rob, Robert Sanchez. Yeah, did Robert I say Sanchez. David Sanchez? You did that time, but not the other time. I,
1: don't, that, I okay. still don't understand that signing. That was literally just a uh, template signing. Oh, we played for Brighton. Let's get him. Like, that's just – Yeah, that's so true. Playbook. It's like, wait a second. The Brighton keeper, they're going to sell him? Yeah, we'll take him right now. Uh, other than yeah, that, I don't really see that one at all, but –
0: Right. All right. All right that, yeah, those are those are all my takes. Let's, let's rip trivia.
1: Okay. Let's do it. Um, so since we haven't really talked fantasy on the pod yet this season, I wanted to do a fantasy-related trivia for us. Um, oh, so, so people who don't play FPO, um, you get points for traditional statistics like goals, assists, saves, clean sheets, things like that. Uh, the one kind of factor that comes into it that is a little more behind the scenes, the bonus points. And so I'm going to give you uh, the top 10 players. I'll give you, let's say, I'll give you 90 seconds. I don't think you're going to be able to get all these because the list is a little bit tricky. Um, but I want you to name the top 10 players. And this is not bonus points awarded. It's the, the bonus point system. So I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You can look at yeah. the fixtures um, and they rank... The players, um, the top three players in each match actually get awarded the bonus points, but there's a system on how they, uh, kind of stack the bonus points. And it's basically like the highest performing players in each match. And so I want you to give me the top 10 players in the bonus point system points this season. Um, this is a different list than obviously the, the awarded bonus points, right? Um, so these, in a way you could look at like the top 10 highest rated fantasy players, kind of. Uh, over the course of five weeks, and this is just total points. Um, So I'm gonna give you 90 seconds, and your time starts now.
0: Okay, so Holland. Yep. Um, Mbomo. He is not, actually. Damn it. Uh, Estupinian. No. Um, Alvarez.
1: Yes, those are the top
0: two. Okay, Jared Bowen. No. Bakayosaka, James Madison.
1: Yes, you have four.
0: Uh, What about James Ward Prowse?
1: Just missed. Number twelve.
0: Damn. Um, What about uh, what's his name? Uh, Destiny Udugi. No. Um, uh, Romero. Yes, he's on there. You have five. Malo Gusto. No. Uh, Raheem Sterling. One really Mm. good
1: week. Williams.
0: William Saliba, no. You got the five obvious ones. These ones are harder. Okay. Um, Thirty seconds left. Sven Botman.
1: Mm-hmm. Missing um,
0: names. God. Uh, goalies. Pedro Neto.
1: Yeah. Yes, he is on there. That's six.
0: Let's Let's go. Uh, Bird Leno. Yep. Seven. All um, well, seconds. Ariola. Vicar- A- Ariel is not. Uh, um, uh, Vicario at Spurs. Yes. Eight, three yes. Two, uh Sanchez.
1: Yeah. No, you got eight. I was, <laughs> for a second, I thought you were gonna say Vicario. Let's give you a half point because you said it like halfway and then changed your answer. Um, but you got eight, which is I thought very very good. Um, so the guys you got: Hollins number one, Alvarez two, Leno three. You missed number four. Madison five, Sokka six, Neto seven, Vicario eight, Romero nine, and you missed number ten. Is, I is think those guys
0: uh, are uh, it, really get a ball? Is it one up there?
1: Yeah, he's number ten.
0: God damn it.
1: So the only other
0: one was number four on the list. Please. Four. I'm missing number four. Is it is it Odegaard on the ball, a lot, a lot of touches?
1: It is not. It is a
0: midfielder. Pascal not- Gross.
1: No, he's actually not super highly owned. Twelve um, percent ownership in fantasy.
0: He's a midfielder, and he's number four, and he's twelve percent ownership. Yeah. Um, he must play for. He's on. Like a mid. It's not Anthony Gordon. That's the kind no. of team on like Newcastle. It's not. It's
1: not like a, it's. He's plays for Manchester.
0: City. Oh, he does. Yeah. Uh Phil Foden then. Rodri. Rodri. Rodri's been all over the place. Rodri. Yeah, Rodri.
1: So that's I mean eight ten is really good though. And Tylo, I think, with more time you might have gotten him. Rodri was kind of a tricky one just because he's not he doesn't actually have that many fantasy points.
0: Um I think he's
1: he's got like the third least out of the top ten. Um Yeah. And then you did I, say Ward press who was twelve. The next couple are Locking Anderson with eleven, Ward Proud twelve, Douglas Solis thirteen, Pascal Gross fourteen, Edward fifteen, then it was Adobe who you guessed, Ariola who you guessed, yeah. which was a few behind that. So Interesting.
0: Interesting. you didn't guess yeah. Sala, And he wasn't on there, but Yeah, well I've owned Sala this all the season in FPL. <laughs> sure. And yeah, I, I know I I know he's not getting bonus because I own him every week. Um, but I did know it's funny the bonus points I did know that a bunch of keepers yeah um, and I ended up there because I was looking I'm I own Matt Turner and Jordan Pickford in fantasy which has mm-hmm. just been a nightmare there's been zero clean sheets all season between or in the five games between both of them um, so I was looking at like I was trying to figure out the other day yesterday how many points like I've lost this season, like what if I would have just gone with another 4.5 or $4 million keeper Um, and I was annoyed because I saw obviously like how many bonus points some of these keepers have Uh, gotten. Yeah, Lano like a huge week one.
1: Yeah, he's got 25 points through five weeks, so he's averaging five points a week and uh, he's pretty low cost too. Right. Yeah. Well, something to think about for your uh, fantasy transfers. Those guys are putting in points obviously holland and alvarez have been uh i know you've had alvarez for a while he's been pretty electric
0: yeah he's been a stud so uh, i play i play good friend of the pod andrew lockman this week in fpl so andrew i'm sure you're listening uh safe travels to denver this weekend and um yeah good luck yeah good luck um
1: all right (laughs) so since we talked about the the Last pod we did, no predictor this season, but we are going to start doing a thing to preview some games. We're just going to pick our three most anticipated fixtures and do a little predictor on our own with that and preview those games. Um, the three we have this week, they're actually all at the same time, which kind of blows. Uh, Sunday morning, 9 Eastern time, 8 Central. Uh, I wish one of these would have been on Saturday. The Saturday slate is not really super thrilling. but uh, Dang, first... all three of these games are Sunday? On Sunday at nine a.m. and then the eleven thirty uh, uh, Blades Newcastle. So it's just not really great planning there. Dang. Yeah, all on Pecon. Um. So the first one we mentioned. Arsenal at home against Spurs, the North London Derby. Um. Do you want to
0: give your thoughts? Yeah. So, like we mentioned earlier, I'm pumped. Just pumped as I'm, just football nerding out for this this fixture. I'm I'm really really pumped. I think uh, I think Spurs are going to kick Arsenal in the mouth a little bit, just given how they're playing and the form they're in. Like you said, Arsenal are eking out a lot of wins, but they're not even doing it against like that strong of sides. Like they're they're eking out wins against low block uh, Everton and low block um, uh, uh, Palace. So I think Spurs. I think there's going to be goals in this game. I sort of like a back-and-forth energetic affair. and ends at 2-2. Two, two.
1: Okay. I do want to give a little bit of credit to Arsenal. They, out of the big clubs, I would say that their their support and uh, noise factor for home matches is actually pretty good. I think they have a pretty good atmosphere. So I think this is going to be a bonkers. Arsenal? Game. I I, don't, I think that their fans are actually like not as bad as uh, some of their top six teams.
0: Wow. That is Liverpool, eight. I think
1: Liverpool. Liverpool I would say have the best
0: atmosphere of the big
1: 6 but I think after that Arsenal might be second.
0: I think there's a level of electricity at Arsenal right now which is hasn't existed for, you know, 15 15 10 since you know the Invincibles really right. right so 20 years almost 15 20 years. So I guess I can get behind that but I tell you what like 2012 to 2017 I've seen Palace beat um Arsenal away uh, a few times, and it is... Just I'm not even absolute, saying like home field quiet. Yeah, no, it could be, but I think as of late
1: watching those games, I think that they... I mean, when they score, it's, it gets pretty loud in there. Uh, I think there's a lot yeah. of energy in the ground right now, so I think for that match specifically, it's going to be pretty electric. Um, Fair. I, I, I kind of agree that I think there will be goals in this. Spurs have just... They've scored... So if you look at their fixtures, they've scored at least two goals in all five of their Premier League matches so far. Um, Arsenal have been lower scoring, uh, but I do think that it'll be a little bit end-to-end here. I am going to give the edge to Arsenal, though. I'm going to go 2-1. I think them being at home, um, and they've they've been there before. They've played in some big matches last season uh, where they've needed to get results. And I think they've had some close matches this season, but they have been able to... Eke out those wins that they've needed to. I think this will be a really, really exciting match. Um, but we just talked about Spurs; they really should have lost to Blades, um, and Blades are not good. They they stole that match. So I'm going to go Arsenal two one in a, a thrilling encounter.
0: Okay, so uh, I guess a better question would be who starts in goal for uh, for Arsenal? Raya. Wow, how unreal would it be if? Arsenal, like, draw 2-2 or lose to Spurs, and it's a Raya blunder that uh, that costs him. <laughs> okay, so
1: I just want to mention this really quick. Did you see Arteta's comments about how he, like, thinks he might be this, like, new innovative manager and might, like, make goalkeeper substitutions during the match?
0: Yeah, he said one of his biggest regrets during his first, like, three seasons as a manager was not substituting um, the, his keeper at the 65th minute. Um, of a game like last season he's like i just didn't do it because it's not the norm and it's not what we're supposed to do and i was too afraid and he's like it's one of my biggest regrets as a manager because we went on to lose you know uh 2-1 or something like that yeah. I'm like yeah fucking right Miguel. Like, what you did not hell sit there and that? think yeah yeah right dude you're not that to big just, brain i gotta
1: call bullshit on that he's just like I mean, why haven't people done it before? He's like, I just, I, I just, I guess I got scared because I didn't know what people would say. And it's like, dude, you're not going to just like start substituting goalkeepers. That's like a, like the biggest fear of any manager is to have to like put a goalkeeper in for the last 20 matches or 20 minutes of a match, excuse me, like just off the bench. Like that, no one wants to do that. That is like, what is an insane statement to make? He, he kind of pisses me off I, and
0: sometimes. I, and I get it. I get it that they have different skill sets. Like I'm not... I'm not, it's not lost on me. I, I think about it just as like a, a, an athlete. Like when I, I played defense in ice hockey and when I had goalie A behind me versus goalie B, it gave me a different, you know, let's say goalie A I played with for years and I, and I just thought he was a better shot stopper. I felt more confident being aggressive in the play, stepping up against an attack um, and, and, and. And honestly, some of that was, like, conscious confidence, right? It was like, oh, I got, you know, Max behind me. Like, I I know I can step up here kind of thing. Um, And, I, I, you know, Arteta, obviously being a central midfielder, I don't know if he has ever experienced that. I don't know if that's a defense only. Maybe that's also unique to me. Maybe I'm crazy, but... um, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for, like, just the psychology of a team when you have someone behind you who you who you know is a brick wall or you know is going to stop X, Y, or Z. Like, that would always impact me. And as a player, I think you always, like, regardless of how positive you are as a teammate, you will cast an opinion of who do you think is a better goalkeeper, right? Like, if you're Ben White, you definitely have an opinion that Ramsdale is better or worse than Raya, right?
1: Yeah, because that's what
0: we do. We, for sure, for sure.
1: And like, I, I, but I think the idea of like making that change mid match is just so psychotic. Like, there's so much communication that comes from the keeper too. Like, you're, you're making an analogy to hockey. Like, I, I played baseball. I was a pitcher. Like, there's certain guys that I thought were better catchers, but I'm not going to like trot out in the fifth inning and be like, oh, you know what? I think we should change catchers right now after I've just pitched one for four innings. Like, you're in like the yeah. flow of a game it's just to bring a guy off the bench that like. If you're like going to warm up as an outfield player and like do your little shuffles down the sideline and get loose, that's one thing. But like, just (laughs) I think that was just an insane comment to make. If he starts doing that, I'll be blown away. Uh, But I definitely think Raya starts. He started their last Premier League match. He started their uh, their Champions League match this week. Um, I think he's going to be the guy unless he gets hurt or kind of gives that opportunity away.
0: Yeah, like Pep is the most crazy big brain guy there is, and even he hasn't done that. You know? right yeah it's like
1: you're not like michael's just like trying to like be ahead of the curve here and like if someone does it he's going to take credit for it um i right. that was just i don't know sometimes he just like thinks he's smarter than he is he, he annoys me every right now and then but all right so next uh anticipated fixture at nine o'clock again on sunday is liverpool at home against west ham um i guess i'll go first here since i made you go first last one um this is another one that I do think goals are going to be in as well. And it's like I said, I think Liverpool are shaky defensively. I really, really like their attack. I think they upgraded their midfield a lot too. Um, McAllister was rough last week. He was also coming back from playing in South America, like a couple days prior. That's, and I think he played in, um, was it Columbia he, wherever he played was like 12,000 miles above Seattle. Bolivia. Olivia, that's what it was. It was just like the hardest place to play on earth. And they flew him across the sea and like he looked like a mess. But I think he's really good. I think Sulpazai is going to be really good for them too. I like a lot of the changes they've made. I do think they'll concede in this. um I'm going to go, this one I'll go 2 2. Um, I, I think West jam have wow. goals in them as well. And I do think Ward Prowse is a complete game changer for that team.
0: Yeah, Ward Prowse looking pretty dialed right now and looking like he really wants an England place. um so I kind of like that take and West Ham you know I I always bet against West Ham I always just am like just a naysayer and I gotta give West Ham and both Palace some love because they've got their old managers they you know there's all these tactical geniuses um, creating triangles and small systems all over the pitch and Roy Hodgson and uh, David Moyes are doing it a little bit old fashioned and just getting results with with, with proven Premier League players um so I think I think of both I think about both Palace and West Ham in kind of like similar places, um, to be honest. And I think of them similarly. Both based in London, of course. Regardless, in this match, I'm gonna have Liverpool winning three one. Um, West Ham lost three one to City last week. Gave up massive xg. Um, I think they'll probably nick a goal, maybe a set piece, zoom ahead or something like that from JWP. Maybe a penalty um, or Bowen nicks in behind. But uh, I, I think Liverpool went three one at home as well.
1: Yeah, okay. And then the last one we have is Chelsea at home against Villa. Um, I think in this match, something's got to give, right? Chelsea have been really, really poor going forward. They've created some chances. They haven't had anyone on the other end to bury them besides that one really good uh, performance from Sterling. Uh, And Villa, on the flip side of things, have been pretty leaky defensively. Um, What do you like in this one?
0: i like Villa to win 2-0. No
1: hope for Chelsea.
0: yeah, I'm just saying that confidently. I think uh, I, I think it'll be one of those like the game ends two 0 and you're like, damn, that was cagey, tight the entire time. I think there's going to be a lot of challenges to to wrestle control of the central midfield. Um, but I just I, I don't think to your point, I don't think Chelsea can put the ball in the net, um, and I think Villa will you know they're going to get frustrated. There there's a bit of pressure mounting on the club right now. Um, and I think Villa are going to come back from their midweek loss in the, uh, in the Europa Conference League with a bit of a point to prove. Um, and you're going to see some of their starters kind of slot back into the lineup. Um, and I think Ali Watkins breaks his, his goal duck for the season as well.
1: Yeah, interesting. I think this match features probably the two most underperforming strikers so far this season in terms of their XG to, uh, goals with Watkins and Jackson. And Jackson mm. was linked heavily with Villa as well. Uh, before he signed with Chelsea. He's gotten a lot of opportunities and hasn't been able to bury anything. Ali uh, has been pretty pretty rough in front of net. He's provided some assists. Um, I think this one's going to be 1-1. I uh, I think over the course of the season, I like Villa's upside a little bit more, but Chelsea are going to rebound. I, I have some faith in Pochettino. Uh, as long as Todd Bully does and doesn't sack him early, I do think Chelsea will right the ship a little bit. That doesn't mean I think they're going to be pushing for anything special this season, but I do think they'll probably end the finishing top half. And um, I expect goals from both sides, but I do think, agree. I think it'll be a little bit of a cagey affair. I'll go 1-1 here. All right,
0: fair play. Uh, so there, you heard it here first. Um Rye is starting this weekend, um, and you heard our predictions, obviously. I've got Villa to win, so up the Villa. Uh, Chris, you got anything else you want to add to this episode? Um, not really, no. Uh,
1: hopefully we'll be back soon again. And it's it's good chatting as always. Uh, I think uh, a lot of interesting talking points this week. So uh, Sunday is going to be uh, a morning you don't want to miss. There's going to be a lot of really good footy then. Saturday, hopefully we'll get some excitement. But those Sunday matches should provide a lot of drama.
0: Love that. Sunday is a morning you don't want to miss. I feel like that's an ad read right there. That's great. I wish we had like a like a Denny's ad going right there.
1: Yeah, NBC um, should go with that one. The Morning, you don't want to miss what was that all right.
0: weekend. 100%. Um, well, that's all that, That's all we've got, gang. As always, uh, appreciate you listening in. Uh, thanks, Chris, for the, uh, the well wishes. Um, and it's exciting to get back in an episode. We'll obviously get rolling here. Um, I'm moving down to South Florida here in a couple weeks, so that should be very pod-conducive. Pod-condu- um so expect some more episodes here in the near future. Um appreciate y'all listening, and as always, just goes to show.
1: Everybody see you in next guys.